we've been work, working through commendable faith, and today uh, we're looking at Hebrews eleven seven. That's Noah and righteous faith. Looking at, at Hebrews eleven, we're going to do just a little little bit of apologetics. We're going to go back uh, to an older sermon, Sola Scriptura. You guys remember that one? Three of you. Okay, we're going to pray for the rest of you. There's some exciting stuff that happens through this through the series of Sola Scriptura. We're looking at God's word. We want to listen. Here's what here's what Tristan and Colton both told us that God's Word is reliable and it's authoritative. Now, the question is, do we believe it? We're going to take a look at it this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Let's read that real quick. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. And so here's the deal. Who's Noah? And is the story of Noah true? Can we possibly know that? Is there a way to know that? Yes, turn to Genesis chapter 6. Hold your finger in 11, we'll be back. I should probably hold my finger in 11 too. There we go. Genesis chapter 6, and that's really where we're going. We're going to read from verse 5 down to 7-1, okay? The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in the generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. There's some reiteration, right? We're going to make sure you know it's corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it, and the length of the ark is 300 cubits, in breadth, in breadth 50 cubits, and in height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to the cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your, wife's, your son's wives with you. And of everything, of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kind, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Verse 7, 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark and you, sh you and all your household for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And so this is, a, this is an incredible story. The world would tell you that um, this, this ark is really about 
couple of giraffes and some monkeys and, and a small boat, kind of a dinghy, and it was a local flood. Now, what's the difference? How do we know this is true? Uh, and so I, I want to take us to some evidences that may help us with how this is true. Turn to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. We're going to look at verses 37 through 39. Now, this is, this is Jesus telling of the signs of the end, right? He's given them the end times. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, speaking to the people. And, and this is um, where he's talking about no one knows the day or the hour, right? And so he comes in here and he says in verse 37, For as with the days of Noah so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage unto the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now here's what's interesting about this set of scriptures. Jesus is speaking of Noah as if it's a true story. How do we know that? Because he's talking about his second coming. He's coming again, that's for sure, right? Scripture assures us of that. And so when we look at that, we look at Jesus is coming, and we look at him saying Noah's flood is real, Noah's ark is real, we have to take it at face value because Jesus said so. The, the Scriptures point to Noah's story being true. And that's an incredible evidence for us to understand that the Word of God is trustworthy. We're looking at Old Testament and New Testament together, and they are complementary. They help us see the truth of God's Word, right? And so then in 2 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 3.9, we're going to do just a little bit of this to start, and then we'll settle in. 1 Peter, we're going to look at 3, 19 and 22, says this, In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because, in verse 20, because, the formerly, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So here we see... Peter, telling the story of Noah again, reiterating, saying it's true because this happened, right? It says here in 19, excuse me, uh, in verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Listen, if the days of Noah weren't true, why is he saying that? Why is he, why is he sending us back to take a look at that if, the, if that if he doesn't think that's true, right? And so verse 20 is there, and then 21 says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who, was go who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, having been subjected to him. And so we can know that this story of Noah is true based on that. Maybe you're saying, well, that's all Bible on Bible. How do we know? Let's take a look. Um, at the measurements of the ark, okay? And so the measurements of the ark, this is kind of, you can, there's some different things, thinking about cubits and that kind of stuff. Cubits were measured from 17 and a quarter inches to 20 and some change, whatever. But just based on a cubit and, and a standard length, we're going to go with the extra long one, 
It's uh, 1.7 foot. It's 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, 51 feet high. And so it's kind of hard to think about just base measurements, length, height, and width. What does that look like? What, do, we, do you think we have anything like that in the earth today? Any, any ship that may look like that? It's called a cargo ship. You ever seen a cargo ship? They kind of sit in the water real low, and they carry a bunch of stuff. They carry heavy weight, right? And so um, the cargo ship's pretty close to the ark. It's not the exact and everything, but the measurements are pretty close, and it's pretty amazing how that thing is made with the measurements of the ark. It's incredible how God shows us evidences. Now, you may or may not believe that. That's okay. We understand that these are just evidences. They're not 100%. Is anything 100% from Scripture? What we get is 98% understanding so that we can make an informed decision. 100% is that really free will? Is that really the understanding that we get it? So it's the understanding that um, God gives us enough evidence to make an informed decision, to make a wise decision based on faith. So we really need faith to walk in this. And so let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, and we're going to break down 7. Now that we know that 7 is accurate, and I'm sure you had no doubts this morning, but I wanted to, wanted to walk you through that because, you know, we, when we learn about how to do stuff, how do we put that into practice? How do I live this out? Colton and Tristan talked about it, and it was great sermons. We just need to learn how do I employ that in my life. And so that's kind of a way to, to do a little bit of that. Um, so Hebrews 11, verse 7. Look, it says in verse 7, by faith. What is faith? What does that word faith mean? That word faith, first off in the Greek, is pistis. It's the assurance, confidence, uh, what is believed, often used in a concrete sense of a sense to indicate a proof, guarantee, or a pledge. And so pistis carries this idea with it that there's an evidence that comes along with this faith. It's not blind, empty faith. There is evidences that support this faith, right? And so what would those evidences be in the world today? They would be all around us. In fact, open your eyes and look. In fact, using your eyes, boom, you've, you've seen evidence. The fact that you can see is evidence that there is a creator. Points to God. And so there's your evidence for faith. But that's not the only thing about faith, right? Look at James chapter 2. time of it today. James chapter 2, verse 26. Here we go. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Right? And so with faith comes works. What does that mean? Does that mean we work out our, does this mean we work to, to get salvation? Does this mean we work to get to heaven? Well, let's see what Paul says. Go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Verses four and five. Now to the one who works his way, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Verse five. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? What is Paul saying here in Romans? Is he saying um, that if you work for heaven, you get heaven? Is that what he's saying? No. Anything you do. In a works mode, you get paid for, right? 
if you're working, the only way we get to heaven, how, how do we get to heaven? We get to heaven through the blood of Christ. Christ died for us. We believe that. We accept it. We make him Lord. We walk with him and salvation. There's nothing we do in that except, except the gift that he's given us, right? And so this work, actually what Paul is saying is that kind of work. If you're working your way to heaven, if you're trying to get to heaven through works, that's a no-go. You're going to get your just dessert there. The only thing here Paul talks about is, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So this is a faith that says there is a holy God first, and then the works come out of that. See, that's what James is talking about. James is saying that as works, as faith comes in, it causes our hearts to desire to go and do and be with the Word of God. Do what God calls us to do. How do we know that God is speaking to us? How do we know what God is saying to us? So if God has is, is God, God given us things to do, if He speaks to us, how do we know He's speaking to us, and what is He saying? So I think when we look at Genesis, did Noah know that God was talking to him? Yeah, Noah knew God was talking to him. He was, it was very clear. In fact, he gave him measurements. Now, that's, I don't know if that was audible, if that was heard, if that was spirit, if that, an angel came and I don't know how that worked out. We don't see that in Scripture. But what we do know is that he was very clear. He understood God clearly. And I think we can understand God clearly as well when we look at the Word of God. John 10, 3 and 4 says, To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, w- when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So, when the shepherd comes in, the one who owns the sheep, they know his voice, and they follow him. So that's, so that's an important distinction. We belong to God. We know his voice, and we follow him. And here's, here's what um, John eight forty seven says. So there, so there sometimes has a tendency to be this idea that I'm just, I don't hear from God. I don't, I don't know what he's saying. I don't hear any. I never hear from God. What are some of the ways we hear from God? One of the first ways we hear from God is God's Word. This book right here speaks very clearly to us. So if you're not hearing, if you're not hearing God, you probably want to get into this. Because that's one of the first ways we hear from God. The other is a Holy Spirit speaks to us, right? Through prayer, circumstances, in the church. These are things we hear from God at. And as we're hearing from God, and so here's what 847 says, if you're not hearing from God, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear, hear them is that you are not of God. And so this, is a, this would be a heart check. If you're not hearing from God, it's time to check your heart, check your walk. Maybe you're in rebellion. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe there's some of that. But also maybe there is no walk. Maybe you're just coming to church and enjoying the accoutrements of church with no relationship. That's an important distinction to understand. If you're here and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, that gets you to the voice of God. That helps you hear from God Almighty. And so without that, it's even harder to hear God. So when God speaks, we know He's speaking. And so that brings us to a righteous faith because we're hearing from God. Righteousness comes from obedience. When we hear Him, we go and do what He says. So then in Hebrews 11.7... It says, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark. 
So what is reverent fear? What does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to be afraid of God? Is it that shake in your boots kind of stuff? I think it should be a little bit. I think we should understand he's creator of everything. He made it with his breath. He said, and it came into being. So there should be a little bit of that, but that's not the crux of this. This is a reverential fear. This is a fear that God is to be respected. God is God. He's almighty, and we respect him, and that's the fear that we should have in that respect. And so Matthew Henry says this about uh, that kind of reverential fear. His faith influenced his practice. His fear, thus excited by believing God's threatening, moved him to prepare an ark in which, no doubt, he met with the scorns and reproaches of a wicked generation. He did not dispute with God why he should make an ark, nor how it could be capable of containing what was to be lodged in it, nor how such a vessel could possibly weather out a great storm. His faith silenced all objections and set him to earnest work. Right? And so there's an earnestness that goes in. When you hear there's catastrophe coming, we want to get to work, right? We want to do what God calls us to do. And so this is uh, an event. This coming destruction that Noah is encountering with God is a coming event that is cataclysmic. It's going to change the face of everything. And it should motivate him to work, right? Because there's a host of people not saved where he's at. There's a host of people who don't know who God is. What did God say earlier about Noah's generation? It is totally wicked. Not utterly, but totally wicked. Totally wicked. And so that should encourage him and and give him a great sense to go and tell the world about a great God. So he didn't just build. So as Noah builds this ark, it says in verse 7, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith, right? And so this idea that righteousness, I'm sorry, back up, the condemning of the world. How does Noah condemn the world in that? How does Noah condemn the world with this building of the ark? So here's a little uh, word picture for you. Uh, when you go look at diamonds, gentlemen, for your lady, uh, and you're looking for the, the brightest and the best of them, the guy who's showing you a ring will take out a black mat, a black felt, the blackest of black, and he'll lay that diamond on there. And what, is that, what does that black mat do for that diamond? It reveals the brilliance. It reveals the, the, the clarity of the diamond. It reveals the beauty of this diamond. And so the blackness of the black reveals the beauty in the light there. So black on white, right? When, when, the, when white is shown in the darkness, it is a very bright light. It reveals, it reveals the wickedness. So what it did... For the people in Noah's day, is it revealed? It revealed the wickedness of their heart. Here's what a kid, uh, a young kid from Athens, said to Socrates when he came uh, into his presence. He told Socrates, "I hate you because every time I meet you, you show me what I am." Huh? Our light that shines from within, not ours, but Jesus in us, when it shines out, it should shine that kind of a brilliant light. It should reflect the beautifulness of Christ, the holiness of Christ. It should reveal the wickedness of the one viewing it. 
Not because of us, not because we're great, not because we're holy, not because we're righteous, but because Jesus in us is righteous, right? And so the way that we show the world, the way that Noah told the world that they were wicked was first by the way he lived. He lived a holy, righteous life. Second way he did that, he wasn't just silent. He wasn't just building an ark, hammering away. He was out. He spent 120 years building the ark and sharing his testimony, sharing the word of God. He went out and told them. So C.H. Spurgeon says, so two, things, two ways we do this is first, with our life. Second, with our mouth. The second part, C.H. Spurgeon, sorry, I'm speeding. C.H. Spurgeon says, he who does not believe God will punish sin. Uh, sorry, he who does not believe God will punish sin will not believe that he pardoned it through atoning blood. I charge you who profess the Lord not to be unbelieving with regard to the terrible threatenings of God to the ungodly. Believe the threat, even though it should chill your blood. Believe, through, though nature shrinks from the overwhelming doom. For if you do not believe, disbelieving God at one point will drive you to disbelieve God upon other points of revealed truth. See, when we disbelieve God, God's word on one point, it's so much easier to go to the next point and disbelieve it, and then disbelieve that, and then disbelieve the next. We have bodies of believer, believers everywhere who are in modes of disbelief, disbelieving God's word. Only like, I don't know, 50%, only 18% of evangelicals believe that 50% of God's, or something like that, believes that the word of God is true and accurate. It's a crazy statistic. It's absolutely insane that evangelicals, Bible-believing evangelicals, only believe 50% of the Bible or some crazy stat, something like that. It's been a while since I looked at that. But th that's, that's insane, right? That God's people would only believe that only half of what he said is real. So it lends to a real problem in our world. And so then the latter part of verse 7 says, and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. How do we become an heir of the righteousness according to faith? We accept Christ as Lord and Savior, and we go and do the things he calls us to do from his word. If you get nothing else from his word, you should get, go and tell the world that I'm God. Go and tell the world that I died for them. Go and tell the world that I love them. Right? If you get nothing else, you should have that. Noah obeyed God's word. Noah lived according to what God told him to do. Jesus says, now here's the thing. Our righteousness doesn't come from our own selves. We don't make ourselves righteous. Our righteousness comes from Christ. What does Jesus say about our righteousness? It's like filthy rags, right? Our own righteousness is filthy rags. Romans 3.23 says this, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Righteousness in Jesus Christ. That's how we gain righteousness. Righteous faith comes from action. Because of what God's already done in our heart, we be obedient to his word. What is righteousness? The quality of being in accordance with God's law. This only happens through the blood of Christ. This only happens through a relationship with the Lord Jesus. When he begins to touch you, when he begins to, 
to speak to you, when He begins to work in and through you to move and shake you to go and do what He's called you to do, we begin to grow in righteousness. Rightness with God. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a legalistic thing. It's not obey the law and then. It is do what God said and walk with Him. Now, do we always do what God says? Do we always do that? We try. We try. Which means what? If you're trying, you're what? Failing. You're failing, yeah. We're going to fail some anyway. That was, that was very grammatically correct. So I'm sorry, teachers. Um, yeah, if you're trying, you're failing. But the deal is you're trying. And that's the important thing, try, right? We're going to walk with God. We're going to try to do the things God calls us to do. We're going to fail because we're people. We're not perfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect. Colton, I knew it. I knew it. So... Y'all pray for Colton. <laughs> All right. God is good, and he loves us incredibly, and he desires for us to grow in faith, to grow in righteous faith, which means to be obedient to the call of Christ. And so my charge for you today is go and serve the Lord. Be obedient. Walk in righteous faith.